Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And this one's going to be on radiation dose and state-of-the-art CT. What can we do to lower the dose and yet maintain our diagnostic capabilities? A pragmatic look at the long-term challenge. That's a very long title, and this was actually an exhibit I had at RSNA 2010. And I got back from RSNA last night, which is Wednesday night, and today's Thursday, so I'm actually recording this at RSNA time, but I know it's not going to be put up till after RSNA, which is next Monday. It'll be two days after RSNA, and this is an exhibit I had, a computer exhibit, was looking at some of the things that have been published, really trying to use the literature as a base to practice. So first we'll start with the issue of radiation exposure. A number of articles the past few years, lots of disagreement as to what the risk in fact is. Article just recently published shows that patients with exposure to radiation have a longer survival than people who do not. What is the minimum dose? Again, we argue, is there a minimum dose? But so much of what we've looked at and where the information comes from is the event at Hiroshima 65 plus years ago. Again, it was a different event. It was totally different than getting a CT or any x-ray. And to make all of the decisions based on that event obviously is up for debate and there's lots of debate. But let's look at some of the issues specifically and not argue Hiroshima for a moment. Article by Mettler. Just some facts. In the U.S., 2006, 377 million diagnostic and interventional exams, 18 million nuke studies, with the U.S. accounting for about 12% of radiologic procedures and half of nuclear procedures worldwide. He also mentions the U.S. per capita annual effective dose for medical procedures increased from about 0.5 millisieverts to 3 millisieverts over a 26-year period, which very much matches the period of the introduction of CT uh, as a widespread imaging modality. Brenner has published a couple articles, and many of you remember this first article, and it was in the era of quote-unquote high-dose cardiac CT. And again, Brenner's articles are always risk estimates. It's never facts, but it's estimates. It's estimated that 0.4% of all cancers in the U.S. may be attributable to radiation from CT studies. By adjusting this for current CT use, it may be up to 1.5 or 2%. From an individual standpoint, he states, when a CT scan is justified by medical need, the associated risk is small relative to the gain. However, if it's true that one-third of all CT scans are not justified, and it appears to be likely perhaps 20 million adults and more than 1 million children are being irradiated unnecessarily. Now, obviously, now you're taking different facts and assumptions. We assume one-third are not justified, and this appears to be likely. What do you mean it's likely? Radiology is working very hard. Our referring docs are working very hard on making sure we have studies that are necessary. Are studies sometimes not necessary? I can't argue that. Sometimes studies repeated too frequently? Can't argue that. But it ain't one-third of studies. And we are minimizing those numbers. So again, you're making assumptions upon assumptions and taking that to be conclusion and to be truth. I've mentioned before the fact that radiology published an incredibly good set of articles. The counterpoint point addressing many of the issues. And the whole idea and everything that Brenner and others do focus on is this linear no-threshold relationship. But as Tubana makes very clear, science, nature, every single journal, the facts involved there show that the linear no-threshold relationship is indeed not correct. So Little states, 
First article, excess cancer risk obtains in Japanese atomic bomb survivors and many medically and occupationally exposed groups at low or moderate doses are statistically compatible. For most cancer sites, the dose response is compatible with linearity. Many people argue that. And in fact, clearly in Tubana's article, when you use the linear method, when you listen to what Little says, that means cells do not repair themselves. Well, when you look at the journals and the hundreds and hundreds of articles, irradiate cells protect themselves by the immediate defense, repair and damage removal mechanisms, by delayed and temporary protection, as well as renewed against renewed DNA damage, and adaptive responses. The fears associated with the concept of linear no-threshold model, he states, and the idea that any dose, even the smallest, is carcinogenic lacks scientific justification. Among humans, there is no evidence of a carcinogenic effect for acute radiation at doses less than 100 millisievert and for protracted radiation at less than 500 millisieverts. Again, I'm not saying we want to have high-dose studies. We want to minimize the dose, but let's stick to the facts. And these are also the numbers that the ACR indeed will quote. Good article by Vernon, making the point, something we all could agree on, the risk associated with an exam appears to be rather low compared with natural risk. However, any risk, no matter how small, is unacceptable if it does not benefit the patient. Again, we need to make sure the studies are indicated, but the risk is indeed small. Now, you can extrapolate any risk can kill you, but that is not really the point. You saw this just the last couple of weeks where people were going crazy about the the uh, machines in the airport, that if you went through it, you got radiation dose. Well, the dose equaled a half hour of living. Give me a break. You barely could measure it, but it was regular living, and the pilots were worried about going through the machine. Pilots are getting 300 to 500 millisieverts flying planes. If they asked for lead-lined cockpits, you would address the issue, but to be arguing over these machines is just silly. It's taking something out of context. Cohn makes the point also that we need to be very careful with this radiation issues. The two risks to radiation, he makes the point, the first is well recognized and much talked about is the cumulative risk of increased incidence of cancer secondary to radiation exposure. The second little discussed risk is that of missing a diagnosis because of a suboptimal image quality as a consequence of radiation exposures that are too low. And he makes the point very, very clearly Adequate radiation dose must be used to make a confident and accurate diagnosis. In my experience, the main reason a second, well, one of the reasons a second scan is done is because the first scan doesn't answer the questions. And whether it's poor protocol or poor selection of radiation dose, you got to get the study right the first time. The total population radiation exposure can be reduced Cone states, by numerous other means, including aggressively reducing the number of CT exams performed for poor indications, scanning only the anatomic areas of interest, and not performing both non-contrast and contrast scans unless absolutely necessary. Can't argue. Now, organized radiology has begun to become more visible. Uh, Image Wisely campaign with the OWL was introduced at RSNA two days ago, and I didn't have any slides in this talk, but I'll just mention it. Uh, uh, Amos and Brink are the two focus points. There's an article in Radiology in November and December about this. And you're going to see the campaign really take shape. Image Gently is another campaign focused more on pediatrics. It's been around for a bit. There was a good article published by Strauss about 10 steps that radiologists and technologists can obtain, 
can do to really help lower dose, and they focused on children, but a lot of the rules are the same whether it's children or adults. Increase awareness and understanding of radiation doses among the technologists. Just talking about it improves the process. Use a qualified medical physicist. Make sure you're doing the right dose. Make sure your machine is calibrated correctly. Accreditation from the ACR will at least force you to think about dose and what you should be doing. When appropriate, using alternative imaging studies. Ultrasound may be the best study. MR, again, choose the right study. And of course, if you're gonna do a CT, no matter what the dose is, even with the lowest dose technique, make sure it's justified. You should establish baseline doses for your adult patients. You need to know what your scanner is capable of doing, but also what you should be doing. RSNA 2010, this was a big uh, area of discussion. All the new machines are coming or old machines are being retrofitted to really help the technologist, help the radiologist, make certain we're giving the lowest dose and we're not making errors. We should have doses that are really patient specific, both child and adult, but also there are different size adults from 100 pounds to 400 pounds. Again, optimizing pediatric exam parameters or optimizing adult parameters. Scan only the indicated area, only do multiphase when it's necessary, and of course we understand that. And make sure the patient's cooperative, be it child or adult, make sure they're explained what's going on, make sure we're not repeating images or studies because of motion or poor IV access or anything else. Protocol design, I could state the obvious. Clinicians need to order the study, we need to know why it's being done, and we need to have very specific protocols that optimize us getting the right answer. CT should, of course, be the study of choice for that indication, and the radiologist really needs to be actively involved. Do we need single phase or multiple phase? Is it jaundice? Is it relapse pancreatic mass and staging? Is it hematuria? Multiple phases are often required to get the right diagnosis, but they shouldn't be just a standard protocol that you do on every single patient. Getting delayed scans in every patient is probably not what you want to be doing. You got to think why you're doing it, and you should figure out when you should be doing it. I always make the point at meetings about updating your protocols. People forget protocols change. Things change, we understand more. You have to make certain your protocols are up to date. If, you're on, if you don't have really good protocols, get them from the manufacturer, go to CTSS, call up an institution that has your scanner. Make sure the protocols on a Siemens scanner are Siemens protocols, not GE protocols. And on a GE scanner, make sure they're not Siemens protocols. This is for standard studies and this is for you know fancier studies. When I say standard, I mean rule out stone disease. And when I say fancy, I mean brain perfusion. Remember that whole incident at one of the hospitals in California. They had the wrong protocol and they kept rescanning patients with the wrong protocol for brain perfusion. If someone checks the protocols, those things hopefully can indeed be avoided. And again, designing the right protocol for the patient. You gotta think about it, look at the literature. Multiple phases are sometimes necessary, and there's no issue with that. But know where to scan, what the specific protocols are, whether you're doing 2D or 3D. What oral contrast should you give? When should you give it? What IV contrast should you give? How much should you give? How fast the injection rate? When do you give it? Again, everything becomes critical. In CT, one-size-fits-all approach indeed does not work. So what else? Scan doses to the patient. Limit the field of view to the study ordered. 
don't scan the lungs if you're doing an abdomen. And if you're doing an abdomen for the pancreatitis, you typically don't need the pelvis. In multi-phase studies like the kidney, you may only need the kidney in certain phases. Don't do the kidney in the entire abdomen and pelvis. You can really limit the dose and decrease it by a factor of two-thirds just by selecting the right area. And again, choose the right protocol for their patient depending on their body habitus. A number of articles have been published with strategies for reducing dose in applications like cardiac and renal stone following what I just mentioned. Here's one example. Coronary CT angiography should not be performed in patients with extensive calcifications because the probability to rule out obstructive disease uh, diminishes with increasing calcium score. Perhaps that's going to be something people will follow. The length, scan length and CT angiography should be individually adjusted for the needs of the study, not just to cover the entire patient, even though you can. Electrocardiogram correlated modulation of the tube current should be applied in all patients with stable sinus rhythm. Select the right cardiac protocols. Tool voltage should be reduced to 100 kV in smaller patients. Ours today, this year, we're talking more about 70 and 80 kV. kV. Forget 100 kV. Sequential Scan mode with prospective EKG triggering should be considered with lower heart rates. And if you want low heart rates, beta block the patients. That becomes critical. With the appropriate use of these strategies for dose reduction, the diagnostic quality is maintained, yet dose is indeed reduced. Article by Flatterer. Radiation dose with its square Radiation dose increases with the square of tube voltage, and so ch even small changes in tube voltage result in a large change in dose. Going from 120 to 100 kV is a dose reduction of 40%, and if you drop it to 80 kV, like in a child, is an 80% reduction. So many people now routinely using 100 kV and moving to 80, and soon we're going to move potentially to 70. So again, think about this and understand how you can use it. Decreasing tube charge from 100 to 30 MAS in stone disease, for example, reduced dose 70%, but in several articles, particularly for 3 millimeter stones or greater, you had the same accuracy. Now, smaller stones were missed, so you have to understand what the trade-offs are, but it's something to really consider. Recent articles about Crohn's disease. Despite a reduction in perceived image quality, diagnostic efficacy was maintained in detecting Crohn's. Again, I think one of the things we're all going to have to put up with is a little bit uglier images, or should I say noisier images, than we had in the past. You're not always going to get Picassos. Uh, and that's another article on Crohn's disease. Um, uh, Kambadaka made the point that they did some work with simulated noise index level, that they were able to reduce dose up to two-thirds, yet keep the quality studies there. So lots of articles like this. Here was an article uh, looking at the conspicuity of malignant hypervascular liver tumors. You could do it while reducing dose substantially. And in fact, Marin increased um, image noise. But when they decreased tube dosage, they were able to decrease their dose by over two-thirds. So again, lots of articles like this. You can see them in the literature. And I threw several of these in there. Other things, practical decisions. Everybody has numerous scanners, but some are better than others, some are newer than olders. That's a real challenge because the newest scanners tend to have the lowest dose. So it's important that if you're buying a new scanner, look at dose. We never pay attention to dose. Most people didn't pay attention to dose when buying a scanner. You looked at speed and output. Now you've got to look at dose. Who has Acer? 
who has dual energy. These things may cost more, but perhaps we'll get reimbursed more. Dream on, dude. But perhaps we will get, you know, more reimbursement as we reduce the dose. Um, specific scanners. It's interesting. Here was an article from Duke saying that lower doses occur with the P protocol on a Siemens scanner than on the G scanner. Okay, you know, and a substantial lower dose. On the other hand, when they did brain CT on the G and the Siemens, because the Siemens doesn't tilt, it had a higher dose. So for PE, Siemens was better, and for, for the brain, uh, GE was better. So again, you know, it's not such a simple question, but if you can, make sure you use the machine that has the lowest dose for your specific application. Now, two things that are being written a lot about, dual energy and interfree construction, something you're going to see a lot about in the literature, and I will go into detail of that in terms of... Uh, more in-depth with specific talks but dual energy remember the thing is perhaps you can do routine uh, non-contrast scans or pseudo non-contrast scans from the dual energy data sets um, articles have shown like this one by Grasser and patients with renal masses dual energy CT provides a high quality virtual non-enhanced data set which is a good approximation and that would lower dose by 35 percent but again, we have to do it, and it has to really meet the test of time. ACER, which is the iterative reconstruction, we've always used backfilter projection techniques. Now, iterative reconstruction, it costs a bit more, it needs more computer power, takes a bit longer, but what potentially we're able to do is have better quality images from noisier scans because it post-processes those noisier scans and makes it look well. Good article by Singh. ACER lowers dose, lowers noise rather, and improves quality of detection of images of certain pathologies while lowering dose. And they were showing here that you could lower dose by 50%, so it's not inconsequential. Although noise did increase, uh, quantitative image noise remained lower than with a back projection for all dose levels in all patients, regardless of weight and transverse diameter. Very, very impressive. Another article here by... Uh, uh, Lipsic, Acer was associated with a 27% reduction in dose compared to classic BAS projection. That is indeed very important. Acer enabled reduced current and lower dose in comparison with FBP, yet it preserved signal noise and study interpretability in a large multi-cohort study, multi-center cohort study. So again, this becomes indeed very, very important and really has all of the opportunity to really change how we're doing things. Again, important things in Image Gently, I have to conclude and remind you, this team approach, it's not just the radiologist, it's not just the technologist, it's everybody. In your department, you need to discuss with the technologist together what the goal of the department is, lower the dose, how they can help, can they make suggestions, what can they do. It's everybody's job, it's not just one person, it's not just one day, it's not just a slogan. Again, simple things. Scanning patients, make sure you only scan what you need to scan. Do QA, show people what, when they're scanning wrong. Show them what they're doing. We talk about timeouts to make sure we have the right patient, the right exam, the right extremity, everything to do. Take timeouts and make sure you have the best protocol and the lowest dose protocol. 
Does this take some time? I think initially, yes, but I think it'll become part of the culture. And once it becomes integrated, it's not going to take any more time. It's going to make life very simple on all of us. So in summary, I use this quote by Bischoff. It's important and necessary to individually adapt scan protocols with the use of every possible strategy for dose reduction. A combination of several dose reduction algorithms is often feasible and leads to an efficient reduction in the overall radiation dose for cardiac CT study. The quote is true with everything. We need to take each thing into account. Lower KVP, scan the area of interest only, do only the right phases. There's so many things we can do and if we do them all, we're really going to meet that image wisely and we're going to indeed do the best we can for our patients. And with that, have a great day.